the Lord's Prayer. And I can't, I can really, you know, as I was thinking um, in December, what should be our vision? What do we want to see for our church? You know, the Lord's Prayer just kept coming to me, kept coming to me. And it's because it really teaches us not just to pray, but also a mindset to which we should think. A whole mindset in which we would focus in on who God is and how we respond to him, how we talk to him, how we think about him, how we view the entire world. And so that's what this series is all about. It is all about us learning to think and pray like Jesus did. And when we have this mindset, we view ourselves and we view our city in a different way. And so each week we're going to be standing together and we're going to be reading the Lord's Prayer. And the reason we're doing that is so that we would memorize it. Um, and then hopefully in the last week, which would be two weeks from today, we would all be able to stand and not have to look at the screen, and we could just quote it from memory. So we are going to do that now. I invite you guys to stand up. You can find the text on the screen, but I would ask you to also um, go to our app and go to Sermon Notes, because the rest of the scriptures we'll be going through will not be on the screen, but you can find them in the app on the Sermon Notes. Um, so we're going to stand, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Who's ready? Come on, i got to get a better response than that. Who's ready? Okay. All right, it's still pretty weak, but I'm not going to make you do it again. Let's, let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we have now three weeks in this series reading your prayer and, and, and learning from it, God, I pray that today we would truly see that you care about our needs, both the physical needs we have and the spiritual needs that we have because you are our loving Father. Lord, I pray that if any of us maybe have some hurt, um, maybe some um, closedness in our hearts, Lord, that you would open it up, that you would open our hearts to the reality that you are our Father and that you love us. And today as we look at this text, Lord, I pray that you would challenge each one of us to, to think in this way, to go to you with our needs, both physical and spiritual, God, and that your Holy Spirit would reign in this room right now, and each one of us would receive something from your holy word. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen. Okay, so today's text is the smallest portion that we're going to go through. The other weeks we're going to cover more, but this week we're covering one simple line. And you know, when I was preparing it, I was like, am I really going to give this much attention to just this line, when some of the other weeks I'm doing three lines? four lines, uh, and I, as I kept reading it, there's a lot to it, even though it's so simple. You wouldn't think that there should be much of a sermon in just this one line. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the thing. We all have needs, though, don't we? We all have things that we physically need, and God wants to take care of our needs, and here he's telling us, and as Jesus teaching the disciples to pray, as he's teaching us to pray, he says to go to God and ask for your daily bread, your daily needs. Now, is this just talking about bread? Is it just talking about bread? 
I don't think so. I think bread in almost all cultures represents our needs. In almost all cultures, bread represents our physical needs. Um, shelter or, or food or water, the basics, clothing, bread kind of represents that. And, and in many cultures, bread even represents um, money, right? You could say, uh, give me that dough, right? It's because bread for thousands of years, as far as you can really look back in history, has represented income. It's represented money. It's represented what we need. And so there's a ton of slang that goes with bread in a lot of cultures because bread is extremely important and because it represents more than just bread. And so, you know, of course we say dough. Uh, if uh, one spouse makes more money than the other, you would say they're the breadwinner. Um, if you're going to work and you need a reason for why you're working, you say I'm putting bread on the table. It's another saying. Um, you know, if... Uh, you want to get to know somebody, so you break bread with someone. You're sharing a meal. You're getting to know them. Uh, if something new comes out and it's awesome, you say, the best thing since sliced bread. Right? Why do we say that? Because bread is awesome, and then you have sliced bread that takes a lot less work. You don't have to find a knife. It's fantastic, right? Now, I personally think, you know, sliced cheese is a little more impressive because you can, like, break bread. You, like, you have unsliced cheese and no knife. I don't know. It's a nightmare. So, personally, like, I would say best thing since sliced cheese because I think it's even more awesome. But the best thing since sliced bread. In Russia in 1917, there was a bit of a revolution, a political promise. And cry was, the Bolsheviks said, peace, land, and bread. That's what they wanted. That was their slogan. Their political slogan was, peace, we want peace, we want land, and we want bread. <laughs> Give us bread. Uh, because it's a basic need. It represents the thing that we need. We, like, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to eat, right? You know, uh, actually, in almost all cultures, and even in Africa, Europe, Americas, um, even large parts of um, Asia, but they, they all really use bread as the mainstay. It's the thing that they represent as income. It represents food. It represents life, even oftentimes. Um, and then really kind of with the exception in the world is some of the Eastern Asian countries where it's rice, which is very similar. So they would say um, that rice is kind of their main, mainstay. It represents for them even happiness. It even represents how you're doing. In uh, Vietnam and, and even certain other um, countries, they have phrases that we would say, how are you? But they ask, have you had rice? And it's just you, you walk up to someone, you're like, how are you doing today? They go, have you had rice today? Like they're asking you, are you doing OK? But their slang is, have you had rice? Because if you haven't had rice, then you're probably not doing okay. Because in poor countries, food is such an essential need that really without that need, I mean, we all know what it's like to be a little hangry, right? Um, and that's just after a few hours, but maybe after a few days. I mean, you're certainly not doing well if you haven't had rice, if you haven't had bread. So there is something to like our daily bread, our daily needs that we have to have them. We, we need them. We can't really, really, we can't live without them for very long. And so God is t telling us here, Jesus is teaching us here that we can go to God and we can ask him for our, our daily bread, our daily needs. And we can go confidently, right? Because it's give us this day our daily bread. It's, 
it's like, Lord, give it to us. Like, we need it. We need it to live. And so we can go confidently before the God of the universe and say, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily needs. Now, I would say we do need to recognize the difference between needs and wants. We live in a rich country where maybe a lot of the things we're praying for, we are praying for wants because our daily bread, our basic needs are already taken care of. And so we go and we pray for things and we get upset because we're not getting certain things we want, and then we blame God. And it's like, well, he's giving you a lot of your basic needs. For, for most of us, he's, we have shelter, we have food, we have clothes on. Um, it may not be always the new clothes or what's in style, but you've got clothes on your back, right? And so God has taken care of you. And so it's important for us to notice the spirit, sorry, the, our physical needs versus our wants. Now, we get mixed up in that a lot, right? We start to see things as needs that aren't really needs, right? Like Netflix isn't a need, right? Spotify is, <laughs> right? Like I can live without movies, but I can't live without music, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know? But each one of us, we might view certain things as needs that aren't really needs. We've grown accustomed to it, and we would think it would be hard to live without it, but they're not actually needs. They are just wants. And then so we start spending our money. And, and I'm going to talk about spending. I'm going to talk a little bit about giving. But mostly we're going to go down a spiritual route with this. But just bear with me for a moment. There's a lot of things that we feel that we have to have that we don't actually have. And, you know, a lot of us, maybe, maybe some of you are, are great with money, but a lot of us, we spend a lot of money on a lot of things that we don't actually need. And then when hard times come, um, when you lose a job or, or something happens, a car breaks down, suddenly you're like, like, I have nothing. I can't pay for this. What happened? And a lot of times I would wonder if the Lord would say, I've been giving you a lot, but you just are blowing your money. And we should be saving up a little bit, protecting ourselves, having a little bit of savings. You know, I think there's a lot of principles here because we so easily just spend, 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 spend. And I would say the Lord is going to teach us that we need to also be prepared, right? Because you could get a little over-spiritual where, like, I'll just live in the moment, live for today, and be foolish with your money, saying, I'm just going to trust the Lord for tomorrow, and he's like, and then tomorrow something happens. And he's like, yeah, but I gave you the money yesterday. You just blew it on the wrong thing. And so I would encourage us to be a little bit more wise with our income, with, our, with the money that we have, and build up a little bit of savings so that one day you can go, Lord, thank you for giving me wisdom and, and you know, allowing me to have money in the past to save so I'm ready for the future. Now, obviously there are circumstances where it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you're having a hard time but you are maybe having a difficult time, and you can go to him confidently and pray to him, and sometimes we don't go to him enough. In your hard moments, we must, we must go to him. Lord, please help me here. I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't have the income, the finances to take care of this. Lord, please help me. Please take care of me. And because he's a loving father, whether it was your foolishness that maybe led to it or not, he is a loving father, and he will take care of you. You know, as a father, you want to teach your children to be wise and to make smart decisions. But when they, you know, maybe get a little rebellious and they start making some bad decisions, you still love them as a father and you still come with your grace and your mercy and take care of them. But it doesn't give us the excuse to just be foolish. It doesn't give us the excuse to just be foolish. So it's important that we 
really recognize what he is giving us, what he has given us, and be wise with what he's giving us. Amen? Now, that's easier for us here in the U.S. to talk about. There are other portions of the world where savings is not a reality for them right now. There are whole countries where that is not really something you talk about even because you really are living day to day because you're in a third world country where things are much more difficult. And, uh, you know, as I was reading this text and praying about it, you know, I kind of thought, like, we're not a church that's so much struggling with putting bread, physical bread on our tables to eat each day. But there are people on the street who are. You know, know, I've been in conversations where we've talked about, and some of this is true, that the homeless population in Austin is probably better taken care of than other cities. Um, There are a lot of organizations doing a lot of good in the city for the homeless population. But here's the thing. That's great that they had a meal yesterday, but they may not have a meal today. You know what I'm saying? They may have been taken care of for a while, but they may not have something tomorrow. And I don't think we can ever just use that as an excuse. Well, you know, there's already a lot of organizations here doing that. That's why I was like, you know what? It's going to be difficult for me to talk about daily bread and know that there's people on the street. So we're going to do something about that. And I think it's awesome. We had so many volunteers and so many items brought. It's fantastic. So we're going to, today, we'll all leave with a bag or two and put them in our cars and give them to somebody as you see them um, in need. Because there are people that are in need. They need their daily bread. All over the world, this is true. And it it breaks my heart to think of children that may not know where their next next meal is coming from. I read this story, uh, and apparently this happened in two different places, one in Vietnam and one in uh, Korea, both after the wars. There were a lot of orphans. And in Vietnam, the one I was reading about, in Vietnam they had all these orphans, and the, and the kids were so antsy at night, and the um, nurses or uh, caretakers, whatever you would call them, uh, they weren't sure why these kids were so antsy at night. They couldn't get them to go to sleep. The kids were acting out. They were acting weird. They're like, what's going on? And as they started talking to the children, what they found out was that the children were obviously grateful for the meal they had that day, but they were anxious that there would not be bread the next day. They were worried because they could not sleep thinking maybe there won't be food tomorrow. And that broke my heart. You know, as I'm reading that, I'm starting crying because I'm like, this, just how sad that is to not know that you would have food tomorrow. And they're anxious about it. And so what these wonderful nurses did is they, they started taking pieces of bread and they would give it to the children and they would say, hold this and go to bed with it so that you know that tomorrow when you wake up, you'll have bread. I'm like, that is awesome. They're geniuses, right? So the children would take their piece of bread, and they would relax. They would ease up because they know that they had bread for the next day. They wouldn't eat it. They would fall asleep, and they would eat it the next day. And I thought that was beautiful. And over time, what happened is the children started just trusting that there would be food, and they didn't need to hold the bread anymore. They didn't need to fall asleep with it because they trusted that there would be food the next day. And sometimes... It's hard for us to trust God. It's hard to trust God in hard moments where you're not sure what's going to happen. And we feel anxious and we feel worried and we're scared and we're paranoid and we're going, what's going to happen? I don't know. I'm freaking out here. And then we go to God and what happens is the more times that you've gone to him and then seen him miraculously provide for you, you've seen things happen, 
the more you start to trust him. The more you start to trust him and go, no, I know that he'll take care of it. No, I know he'll take care of it. And I believe here it's important for us to, to start trusting God. Now, I don't believe that they should have just gone to these orphans and been like, let me just read a scripture here and tell you why you need to just trust God, okay? No, it was good for them to, to build their trust with them. It was good for them to give them a little security. God will do that with us, too. But ultimately, what God wants is our hearts to get to a place where we're not anxious about our needs, but trusting of our God to provide for our needs. I believe God wants us to start trusting him, start trusting him, start trusting him. Jesus, later in this chapter, after the Lord's Prayer, actually teaches about this. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but this first portion, Jesus is talking about the daily needs. And he's talking about our heart and how we should trust him. And I'm sure that most of you have heard this scripture, but I want you to really think about it. Really let it sink in. Jesus is speaking to them and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He said, I don't want you to be anxious about your life, any part of it, what you eat, drink, or wear. Just trust. He says, is not life more than food? For some of us, we're like, yeah, well, <laughs> food's pretty good. Uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? Do you know that you're valued more than the other anim- any, any other animal, any other species? You are valued because you're a human with a soul and a spirit. We're different. And he says, I take care of the birds. You need to trust me that God will take care of you because you are of more value than they are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Anybody? Anybody? Can you add a single hour to your lifespan by worrying? You probably can take off hours, days, years of your life by having anxious fear and stress. You certainly can't add to your life with fear, with with anxiety. And Jesus kind of asked them this, Are you, is it going to help you to worry? In what way does it help you? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you little of faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says that the Father knows that you have needs. He's your Father. 
I often will recognize Lincoln's needs long before he does. Right? He's young and he's just learning how to talk and doesn't really know what's going on. I know that he needs a, a gate to keep him from falling down the stairs. He doesn't know he needs that yet. Right? I know he needs a jacket when he goes outside. He doesn't know that yet. Right? And God is the sovereign, all-knowing, powerful king of the universe who knows all. He certainly knows your needs better than you do. So he says, don't worry about these things. Instead, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first and just watch him take care of your needs. Just watch him add these things to you. So he says, don't let your heart get all caught up on providing for yourself. Instead, seek the kingdom, seek righteousness, and just trust and watch that God will take care of you. Amen? A lot of times we don't do that, though. Is anybody else guilty of that? I know that I can often be guilty of that. I know that I can often get so caught up in the moment that I start worrying about work or my schedule's like, kind of creeping up and I'm not getting the estimates and I'm like I got a family to take care of here and you know what the Lord has shown me over and over and over and over I will take care of you I mean Melissa is a lot better about that than I am like I'll be like babe I don't have like like I don't have anything booked for next week like I have books stuff people are booking in February but this is literally this week it's like I don't have anything booked for next week and uh she'll often just be like He'll provide, he always does. And I'm, like, and I'm like laying in bed for like an hour worrying, you know. And then she's like, nah, it'll be fine. And of course it did. Like immediately I booked a job that will take all next week. And so my calendar is booked. I'm like four weeks out, which is what I love because it's security. <laughs> but the Lord has just shown me over and over again how he takes care of me and my family. And then I just feel stupid every time I work. Right? Like I worry and then he provides and I'm like, why was I was wasting time. I was wa- wasting energy. I was wasting thought life. Right? Like, like I could have been praying for people instead of worrying about myself. But we do that. We, we so easily worry. But God wants us to trust so that we can just seek the kingdom. Because it's hard to seek kingdom and righteousness when you're so focused on your own needs. Because we talked about before, the kingdom that we're talking about, his will that we're talking about, is a spiritual one, a spiritual kingdom that we want to invite others to join into his kingdom. For his kingdom to come means that people are getting saved, that people are coming to know the reality of the gospel, the grace that was given for him. This is the kingdom, but it's hard to think about other salvation when you're so focused on your own basic needs and you're not trusting God, you're fearing and, and, and you're having anxiety about these things. So you're not even focused on other spiritual needs because you're so caught up in your own physical needs. So we must start trusting him so we can start seeking his kingdom and his righteousness more. And we're a lot more effective for the gospel when we trust God for everything. We trust him to take care of us. Now, obviously, at some point we all die, right? There's no promise here that if you're seeking the kingdom, you won't die. Everything will be fine. I mean, Paul was seeking the kingdom, and he was beheaded. All of the apostles were um, tortured and beaten, and all but one were martyred. And they were trusting and seeking the kingdom. There is no guarantee that at some point you won't die. (laughs) You're going to die. At some point you're going to die. At some point your physical needs will, will no longer be met. 
But as a believer, that's because we know that we're going to a much better place. Well, we'll never be hungry or thirsty again. We'll never be sad or hurt again. We will simply rest in the peace and joy of our Lord and Savior for all of eternity. But so long as God wills you to be alive, he's going to take care of your needs, and we can trust him for that. Amen? You know, and that's why it's so important for us to trust God and know that he has our lives in his hand. And Daniel says that he holds our breath in his hands. And thank God that we naturally trust him with that, believers and unbelievers. <laughs> we just not, because can you imagine not trusting him with your breath? Having to think every moment, reminding yourself to breathe. There are certain medical conditions where that can become the case, where you have to consciously choose to breathe. Can you imagine that? But we trust him with our breath, and we must trust him with our other needs as well, because he holds it in the palm of his hand. He holds our lives in the palm of his hand. So like these orphans, I hope that we eventually just start trusting him, that we eventually just trust that he will take care of our needs tomorrow. And the more we start trusting him, the easier it is for us to seek his kingdom, the easier it is for us to give, the easier it is for us to do all these things because we're trusting him to take care of us. However, in scripture, bread represents more than income. It represents more than finances. Bread represents life, and it represents more specifically Jesus. In Scripture, if you're reading Old Testament or New Testament, and bread is brought up, it is almost always, I can't say always for sure, I haven't checked, but all that I know, everyone I've read, it is a representation for Christ. It is a picture of Christ. Jesus even tells us this. We're going to read a, a longer portion here. Um, to give you a little context, Jesus here, he's going to give this really uh, discourse on, on the bread of life, how he is the bread of life. But before this, he had just fed the 5,000. And you have this multitude, which is a Bible word for large crowd, of anywhere between 10 and 20,000 people. Scholars disagree. But he miraculously provides Food for all of them, miraculously. I mean, we're talking, we're talking a huge miracle, 15,000 people or something. To, I mean, do you know what it would take to just financially feed 15,000 people for one meal? But he does this miraculously. Out of thin air, provides food for them all. And then he goes, and he goes across the sea, trying to get away to spend some time alone. But the people... They, like, see his boat, and, they, like, they run around the lake, and they're, they're on the other side waiting for him. And Jesus here is going to teach them about what really matters. Not the physical bread, but the spiritual bread. Verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
So Jesus is like, hey, you're not looking for me because you really want to get to know me or have a relationship with me or because you're looking for a spiritual thing. You just ran around this lake looking for me because you wanted me to give you more loaves of bread. And then he says, it's not the loaves of bread that matter. There's a spiritual representation of bread that matters, and so he's going to teach them about them. And he says that is of himself. And then 28, he says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, okay, Jesus, kind of prove it here. What are you going to do to prove this? He's like, because we remember that God would rain heaven, like rain manna from heaven and and feed them supernaturally every day. So what are you going to do? What kind of sign are you going to give us to show us that you're of this same power? And then Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he responds, hey, there is something a lot better than manna. There's a spiritual bread here that God gives. And so they say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He's like, you're seeking this physical bread. I want to give you a spiritual bread, which is my own self. So that if you believe in me, you will never again be hungry. You will never again be thirsty. You will never again have need because I'm going to spiritually take care of you. I'm going to raise you from the dead to have eternity with me and the Father. Trust me, it's way better than those loaves you ate. There's a spiritual bread that is far more important. And then verse 41, he says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, this is not Jesus, the son of Joseph. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? See, they're, they're not having the faith. They're not believing what he says. Jesus wants to give them the spiritual bread, but they're not believing it. They're, they're thinking in the flesh still. How is it possible that he came from heaven? We know your mom and dad. What are you talking about? And then Jesus answers, he says, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. 
No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says it a third time. Whoever eats the bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Think about what he's saying here. Maybe you've grown up in the church and you're like, yeah, this, this is the basics of Christianity, Stephen. I get it. You don't need to read this 29 verses. Think about what he's saying here. He's like, you're looking for this physical provision from God, from me now, like your ancestors received manna from heaven, and that's what you want. You just want me to take care of your bread. You want me to just forever give you bread. But he's like, you'll die if I just give you physical bread. And that's not why I came. I didn't just come to the world as God's son to die on a cross so that you could eat physical bread. I came this you could eat spiritual bread and live forever and never die. He's talking about eternal life here. See, Jesus points out something. He points out how ridiculous it is to only want physical things from God. When God can offer you spiritual things such as eternal life. Now, of course, God wants us to go to him with our physical needs and trust him with our physical needs and he will take care of us. But God has a much bigger plan for your life than filling your belly. He wants to spiritually take care of you for all eternity. And that is why Jesus came. It's the entire message of the gospel that we would have eternal life if we believe in him. It's like we're taking part of his body, which is the bread. Then they respond. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? (laughs) I mean, okay, so it's a funny representation, right? He's like, if you're going to eat of my body, then you'll live forever. And they're like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like, what is he talking about? It says that they're arguing sharply. Like, they all got into an argument about how they're going to eat Jesus. I mean, like, this is a weird conversation. Like, we've heard it in the church, so we, we're like, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And we're like, okay, let's eat. I mean, originally, early on in the uh, original Church in Acts, they were accused of being cannibals because they're like, this is his body and this is his blood. And they're like, y'all are weird. (laughs) But it's what it represents, right? And so they're like, how is he going to give us flesh to eat? Do we even want to eat somebody if it means eternal life? Like, I don't want to live forever knowing I ate a human, (laughs) right? Like, I I personally would not want to live forever with that guilt. Like, that would just be weird. Like, you never forget that horrible moment. Uh, So they're arguing sharply. So he's being patient with them, right? Do you ever, like, talk to somebody, and no matter how much you explain it, they're just not getting it? It's really easy to just go, what? you know what? You're not getting it. Adios, <laughs> right? It's easy to just cut them off. You're like, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> like, you're just not getting what I'm saying. But Jesus is patient with them. He keeps trying to teach them because he has a message that is so powerful. He's going to be patient with their, 
with their ignorance and keep working with them. So he responds again. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is the real food, and my blood is the real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So he just gives them the message again. You're looking for a physical answer. I'm here as a spiritual answer. I'm here to give you the spiritual bread that will allow you to live forever and that you will never have to die. You will never experience true death, which is separation for God, from God for all of eternity. Instead, you will experience true life, which is closeness and relationship with God for all of eternity. But he says, it's only through me. You must partake of the body and the blood. And that's why we take communion each week, because we're remembering what Jesus has done for us where we're doing this in remembrance. We're doing this to represent, to think on the spiritual truth that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life with him. So we, as a church, I hope we begin to trust Jesus with all of our needs. I really do, because it's, it's a huge waste of our brain power. It's a huge huge waste of our energy and a huge waste of our time to be worrying about things that God says he'll take care of. It's just a huge waste. How many of us are guilty of that on a regular basis? You know, and even when it's not the basics, we got our basics, we're constantly thinking about what we want. All right, I got to, I got to, you know, get a new laptop or update the kitchen or get some new clothes. We're always thinking about that. And we waste so much time, energy, and thought thinking on the things that we should just trust God with. And we instead need to be seeking his kingdom and his will, not worrying about any of the other stuff. Because church... I want us to be a church that seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is that what you guys want? I don't want us to be a materialistic church. I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want us to be a materialistic church that when we get together and we talk in our community groups, our Christ-centered community groups, we get together and talk, and we talk about what we want and what we need and what can we do to have more fun and what can we do to make more money. That's how the world thinks, he says. But if we're really going to be a Christ-centered community, we need to seek his kingdom and his will. Right? And of course we can talk about fun things. Of course we can do that. But at the heart of everything we do, we need to be saying, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for us to be spiritually minded more than we are physically minded. And so today as we partake of communion, Worship team, you guys can come up. Today as we partake of communion, 
I want each of us to to take a moment and be real with the real, real with the Father. Do you see Him as a Father who's going to take care of your needs? Who knows before you know? He knows your needs. Before you can think of it, he's already thought of it. Right? Jesus, earlier in that same chapter, he said, the Father knows what you need of before you ask it. But he still tells us to ask for it. But we approach him as the almighty God who loves us as a father and say, I know that you know my needs. And so when we're asking him for things, we start trusting him because we know that he knows. Like a loving father knows what a child needs before they do, we start approaching with that realization that God knows better than I do. He knows my needs better than I do. He wants to take care of me more than I even realize. And so have a real moment with your father in heaven and say, Lord, why am I so worried about some stuff? Why am I so worried about these things? Teach me to trust you like those orphans were taught to trust the orphanage. Teach me to trust you so that I can be less anxious and fearful in my life. And so that, secondly, I will be more effective for your kingdom because the more we trust him with our physical needs, the more we can start focusing on the world's spiritual needs. And then we can really see the kingdom of heaven and his will be done in others' lives. And that's where we get to that second part, right? We get to that second part where it's like making disciples is what we're all about. But when you're only thinking of yourself, it's really hard to do that. It takes a whole mindset of seeing others' needs rather than your own to actually be effective for the kingdom. So let's have a real moment. Maybe repent of some anxiety. Repent of some fear. Repent of some lack of care for those who are far from God. And allow God to do some work in your heart and transform your heart to be more of the mind of Christ, which we're learning here in the Lord's Prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, you, you have taken care of us physically, but you have taken care of us spiritually, God. In the form of sending your Son to die on a cross so that we would have eternal life with you. Our sins forgiven and freedom from all that chained us down. And instead we would be free to enjoy your presence, enjoy relationship with you, enjoy the peace and joy and all that you have for us, God. I pray that we would, we would enter into that and see what you have done. Let this be a moment where we partake of your body and of your blood in remembrance of what you have done. And that we would begin to be more spiritually minded than we are physically minded. In Jesus' name I pray.